Hey everybody, this is Joshua Heston. And I'm Lisa Martin. And this is the Dark Ozarks on the Branson Podcast Network. Hello everybody. Hello Lisa. Hey Josh. Hello everyone. Hope everyone's having a good Wednesday. It's the Dark Ozarks and we have a fun topic tonight. (laughs) Oh, I can't wait to make somebody angry. Um, It is we're going to be talking about the Ozark Howler. It is a yeah. multi-faceted uh, thing. I was going to say cryptid, but at this point, it is it has it, it has broken the surly bonds bonds of of cryptozoology. Um, it is the Howler is many things. It is uh, the sign on the new motorbike course north of Branson. It is at least two beers in the Ozarks region. And it is something of which we get asked about often. Yes, we do. And that's, and that's why we decided let's devote an entire sh- uh, episode. We generally talk about the Howler and, and amongst a larger uh, subject, but uh, we'll uh, do deep dive into the Ozark Howler tonight. We will. And I'll probably get myself in trouble because the, the Howler... Um, the howler got up on its its haunches uh, probably about mm, fifteen years ago. On, I, I think I think the howler finally, you know, got an iMac and decent internet access, and started emailing folks in Hollywood saying, "I'm the howler. You should write about me, and you should make TV shows about me." And you should do that over and over and over. And uh, it's worked. My hat's off to him and his uh, probably still dial-up connection in somewhere in the wilds of the mountains of the Ozarks. And uh, here we are. (laughs) And here we are. But uh, apparently he is a pretty good publicist for himself. Um, (laughs) Because he went from very pretty obscure um, lore to uh, being everywhere and in a amalgamation of various um things that's i think that's the one thing for me and i i think a lot of people don't realize that the iteration that they see right now about what how he's depicted and what he supposedly is it has changed considerably over time and it's as bits and pieces are taken from here and there they are and I'm, I'm excited to dig into that um the word that comes to mind to me is chimera well <laughs> yeah yeah maybe literally let's you know that go down the uh ancient greek um uh rabbit hole there um with chimeras and um you, you just don't know <laughs> this chimera is hermetically sealed uh, before we go any further, uh, we have several events and an amazing sponsor to talk about. Yes, we do. Um, let's see. Um, next next uh, time that people can uh, come out and see us, at least that's scheduled right now, uh, September 24th at the Bordertown Paracon in Katy, uh, Kansas. Shout out to Bordertown uh, Paranormal, who is putting it on. Um, I've been before, they put on a good event. Come on out, uh, check their page for details. Uh, Josh and I will be speaking 
not sure on what yet, but uh, <laughs> we'll figure it out. And, we'll and it out. <laughs> you all, as the as the the attending public, are welcome to throw us topic ideas to consider. Also, exactly, exactly. What are you interested in? Then uh, October fifteenth, we have all day event uh, Dark Ozarks October Country which will be held at the VFW post uh, 534 on Main Street in um, Joplin, Missouri, uh, yes. or just off Main Street, and uh, which is uh, sponsored by Always Buying Books, um, who also sponsors the video casts. And we are very appreciative to Bob and Elise for their support. Yes, we are. Uh, amazing location, great internet presence as well. You can order yes. online, I believe, and uh, certainly stop in the the store. They, Bob has an amazing knack for curation. He really does. They, they do a wonderful job. And uh, from high-end items down to uh, just genre reading, paperbacks, everything in between. And uh, if, you can't, if you can't find something that you're interested in there, I'm, I'm not sure what to tell you. I did. <laughs> you, did you did find some, and actually one that I actually gotten from there, I'm gonna be referencing later here, so. Very nice, very, very nice, great stuff. And uh, then October 20th, uh, the uh, Old Joplin walking tour. Yes, downtown Joplin, it, uh, we are doing that in conjunction um, with the Downtown Alliance, um, along with Third Thursday, and so we will be walking through downtown, talking about some of the unique history, ghost stories, etc. cetera. Uh, it's always a fun event, so come on out. Um, tickets are for both of those events are available at paranormalsciencelab.com. Then on October 29th, we will be at the Ritchie Mansion, um, as well as the Civil War Cemetery, Newtonia, um, Missouri, uh, and event, excuse me, at the Community Center. So it will be a full evening, but every time we've done it, it's been great. And we are already selling tickets for that this early. So, um, uh, and I'm getting buzzed that people are excited. Uh, so, check out the tickets because there is a limited uh, number available that there are and it's a it's a great great event i love getting out to the ritchie mansion so excited about all of these and it's it's honestly a phenomenal way to celebrate our favorite season which is the halloween season exactly exactly it's gonna be fun mm -hmm. so where do you want to start with the haller oh let's begin with the uh the closest definition of what is an Ozark Howler? Well, that, that's a broad roadmap. Mm-hmm. Mm. I, I threw together some, some quick notes. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> to me, there's, there's the howler of the internet, and then there is the howler of the pre-internet. Yeah, let's start with the pre-internet, which, you know, is where the lore really started and where if there's any, whatever connection to reality there is would hopefully be found in that lore. It is, and to, to such a large degree, not um, exclusively, but largely, we're, we're dealing with 
something akin to uh, a devil cat, a spectral hound, or in some cases, the, the idea of just a large um, panther. Large panther. And then a lot of times it's also described, would be described as basically a bear with the horns and and fangs even larger than a normal bear um yes. so you know think think of a bear jackalope um yes. you know um and you know and of course bear uh, were fairly common in the early days in the ozarks so uh something along that lines is certainly possible and it's ironic, you know, of course, the jackalope is, you know, is totally fictional and uh, kitsch uh, souvenir, but there, there actually is a, um, a fungus that jackrabbits get that uh, grow uh, and look like horns or uh, protrusions off their head. And so that it's probably where the idea for the jackalope came from. Um, mm -hmm don't know that i don't know if it applies to other animals or not so where the horns idea for the horns came from i don't know uh i don't i don't either but it to me this is i, I think it would be fair to place this in the category of regional chimera yeah uh, essentially well, and, the, and i think too you have to you have to look at the settlers coming in and <laughs> and lore that they were familiar with uh um, originally in the in in the British Isles, uh, particularly, and then further east, coming this way, and the native lore. And I think I think it's an, it is a chimera of bits and pieces of that put together. Mm -hmm. I I tend to agree. There was a <clears throat> something number. Obviously, there is no shortage of uh, really of of websites and blogs devoted to the ozark howler at this point more and more than you really expect i mean yes you you will not find multiple blogs uh dedicating themselves to the jimplicute um or even the gowrow uh and certainly not to the admittedly forlorn side hill hoofer which is my personal favorite uh right next to the the jackalope but we we don't seem to have jackalopes in the ozarks that seems to be uh uh, a short grass prairie, uh, tall Great Plains sort of uh, critter. But, oh, that was, that was, ah, this, uh, I forgot completely where I was going. And uh, on that, it sounded really good until we got there. And then I went, wait, where is here? But, you know, the, you, you, I think, ha I would say a certain, there's a certain number of sites that are perpetuating the viral nature, uh, the viral popularity of the idea. At, at this point, I would even go so far as to say that a number of these sites are simply perpetuating urban legend about the woods. Right, and loosely, you kind of loosely around a very ephemeral, vague, notion that there is this large dangerous creature uh, possibly out there and 
the more shadowy and vague it is, the easier it is to perpetuate. Mm -hmm. um, and um, and while it's you know it, it's kind of like campfire stories uh, mm -hmm. at this point, and which is which is neat and which has has led to merchandising, um, which has its has its place but if people were buying t-shirts and hats and beer etc thinking that this is what the story started out as it's not it's it's not and that's oh there, there are so many moving parts dealing there's so something i found interesting in our research for tonight's episode that there are are a handful of sites dedicated to the Ozark Howler that uh, I actually really like. Uh, yeah, a couple of them I do. I mean, they, they, I mean, they, they're approaching it, trying to approach it in a, you know, a, more of a straightforward um, fashion and not making it shtick. And, and also seem to be a, a counter response to uh, the more superficial urban legend aspect the idea that this out here has been placed and has been said now we're presenting uh essentially the the counter argument of the howler and making right. some positive positive references that you know just to to give people something to consider as the the howler moved i think from i i think that there's Mm, this is probably going to result in a diagram, but um, <laughs> this one's going to have circles. Uh, circles. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. Um, really, maybe it's a geometry this. problem. Fortunately, no trigonometry. Um, that <laughs> certainly we have. Um, what I would classify as uh, uh, European lore, um, uh, Native American lore, mm -hmm. and and both of those into um, uh, a fusion of what I think we could loosely call settler lore. That the that the settlers came together and actually started uh, creating their own own work. Out of that, um, we have uh, the development of tall tales. That was just that. That was about what I was going to say. Is that uh, it has to be looked at through the lens of the Ozarks as tall tales, because we have that tradition, and and the and the reason for the tradition is to separate the outsiders the flatlanders from the locals and uh it's a tradition that is used to size, size people up and see how gullible they are um it is which makes uh which I, I think it's important to place a bit of a cautionary note on this is don't get suckered in by all the stories exactly you know if it's too good to be true or too fantastical, it probably is. I mean, and that, that's that's sort of the that that's the moral lesson of the tall tale tradition. You know? 
and uh i'm not entirely sure i think i'm actually sketching out the kabbalah tree of life um, see <laughs> Either that or some sort of, I don't know, new chemical. <laughs> it's, a, it's a stick man with mittens for hands. Um, and it had horns. <laughs> oh, I'll add in horns. Don't worry. Don't you all worry. I'll add in horns. And um, I, I, we also have the, I, and I would say, I, say, I think from a, from a socio-cultural standpoint, that there's a difference between uh, online uh, online urban legend and campfire tales. Oh, yes, definitely. Um, uh, and campfire tales, you know, often will have a grain of truth to them and, and they're, they're done as cautionary tales, but in a little different vein of, uh, with the purpose of giving a lesson for surviving either the wilderness or life or whatever whereas internet urban legends just kind of go off on a tangent of their own <laughs> they they do and i would say that the the urban legend aspect has perpetuated a good chunk of the merchandising yeah i think so i do think so i i think one aspect of sort of the original lore that I think is sort of that grounding element that that sense of a grain of truth for me is is the howl itself that you know it has a cry that you know variously has been over time described as a wolf or even an elk bugle um, or a big cat uh, almost sounding um, like a ethereal human voice um a lot of more modern uh, takes on trying to uh determine well what is it that could be making this noise people tend to point to red foxes now which yeah and and they do have a crying a, a crying sound that often can sound like a woman or a child they they do i i heard red fox one spring when i was a child and 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 i think as as we as a society have moved further and further away from connecting not just connecting with the land in terms of agriculture but connecting with the the wilds connecting mm -hmm. with the forest in a in a meaningful way that you know so, some of the reports in, in regards to the howl of the ozark howler saying you know it filled me with a sense of dread it 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 sounded unearthly this was really really terrifying and then making uh, an admittedly faulty leap of logic to say what else could it have been but the ozark howler i'm sitting right. there going you've never heard a panther before have you yeah and that was the next thing it also i mean it it the descriptions are, are also very much like a big cat um, yeah. and I mean, dare we, I mean, dare we tread into that morass? Um, <laughs> but you know, yes, there are bobcats. Um, and then there's the question of, you know, uh, mountain lions. Um, and I think, yeah. I think it's fair to say there are some, if, if for some still around, if for no, no other reason, 
pets that have been let go and things like that because that has been documented in the, in the, in the region. It so, has. And it's, it's, it, while it is its own subject, it is valid. There, there is a strong inclination that the howler is feline. It is. And I find it really interesting because the, the real early stories make it seem more bear or canine. And, but it has, has sort of morphed to feline. And it seems to me that it, if it is a real creature, it probably is feline. Yes. Um, and that, of course, comes back to the concept of the devil cat. My diagram is done. Very neat. It's even and very neat. Even it is. <laughs> uh, I'll animate it later. Uh, Please do. <laughs> but just, I swear, I've only had caffeine today. Oh, but it's been a, it's been a, it's been a big day. Um, but this is this is what so this is this is the layout of my flowchart based on our conversation then we'll just start picking things and then going from there now that i have a map as everyone okay. knows i can't do anything until i have a map i can vouch for that <laughs> i know <laughs> very true um, <laughs> At the at the base, we have European lore and Native American lore feeding into the creation, the fusion of settler lore, uh, mm -hmm. which certainly would have begun here in the Ozarks around the 1820s. Yeah, I mean, there 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 were a few people coming in to the Ozarks right. earlier than that, but there really, were. for any practical numbers, the 1820s yeah and and if you want i mean if you want to 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 get nitpicky obviously the the late 1700s certainly especially in terms of french in influence french lore uh and then uh u.s settlers uh white settlers coming across from illinois mm -hmm. into the far eastern portions of the ozarks and then out of that and i think to to a a certain degree you can from a from a psychological and from a sociological standpoint you can place yourself in that in that space uh of the settlers they're coming into a what is honestly a very terrifying land with no backup no infrastructure no no 911 no anything and Obviously, many of the many of the folks who were were settling in the uh, in the wilderness were accustomed to certain de some degree of wilderness. They had been in many cases settling across um, the then Western United States, uh, Kentucky, Indiana, uh, Ohio, Illinois. But any anyone who thinks that that wasn't easy or even you know, wouldn't play with your mind. I I would encourage them to go out like into a glade, onto a mountaintop, uh, get rid. You know, leave your cell phone. Um, mm -hmm. Basically, leave all of your tech behind, and go out there at night and just sit there, 
Well, I think there's a good, actually a good uh, illustration of that in recent post on the page, if anyone wants to go read it, about um, the um, steamboat comet reaching the Arkansas post in 1820. Yes. Uh, and the, uh, there's some pretty good description in there about how hard it was to travel. And in fact, that year, um, that summer to to ride between ours, uh, the Arkansas Post and Little Rock, which were two of the very few settlements uh, in territorial um, Arkansas at the time, uh, they had to ride at full speed the entire way because the horse flies were so bad that they would uh, be overcome if they were not riding at full speed. Wow, I believe it, I believe it. You know, so, and it, it, it was, uh, in many ways, it, I mean, obviously it was, it was untamed, it was beautiful land, but it was also terrifying in terms of what folks were, were up against and the, the level of effort. So I think that the, the legends, the lore, uh, which have a, an extraordinary history of meaning um, that, you know, coming back to, going back to the old world, having having those stories ingrained and those what i would classify as hearth side stories mm -hmm. told generation after generation to provide uh, a variety of complex um senses of of meaning in a, a very uh, unsteady and very violent world very much so yeah those those elements and then combining with with two things certainly native lore oh i'm gonna add something um and native lore yeah <laughs> but also uh a completely new environment this was not the, the these were not the animals of europe this was not well, the, the land structures or, of Europe. Or necessarily even further east, if, if they had been on the east coast for a generation or two. Um, yes. And, you know, that, that, that this was just so, so new. So all of this coming together to say, let's, and, and I think even then, a certain amount of levity being injected into the stories. Let's let's make this funny. Let's make this scary. This is part of our entertainment. This is how we're we're gonna scare the kids or entertain the kids. But yeah, also, there was not for our entertainment with TV or the internet or anything. You know, I, I I think that a lot of people would have a hard time conceptualizing the lengths that people would go to for levity and entertainment. Uh, I agree. And, but it's very, it, it is uniquely rich uh, and, and something that became in, in this particular fusion of settler lore, uniquely, uh, uniquely entertain, uniquely American, uniquely North yes. American and, and a, a really important uh, tapestry or fabric of lore was created out of this uh, in various regions. And we see, you know, the, some of the more long time uh, nationally known icons, Paul Bunyan and Babe the Blue Ox come to mind, that these are unique American icons of lore. 
And, and I think that what we see in terms of then transitioning to tall tales is say a generation or two later, these are stories, for example, stories that, that grandpa told or stories that great grandpa told. Mm -hmm. uh, but now the people telling them have the, the Ozarks might may be a rough place to, to survive. They, they always have been in terms of, of subsistence mm -hmm. living and farming and agriculture uh, in so many, so many ways. But at this point, you have folks who now, they're no longer settlers, they're Ozarkers, and these are their stories. Right. And, and that, I think, is where we really start to see the us and them. We're going to tell these tall tales. We're going to tell them with a straight face. And we're going to tell them to the newcomers. We're going to tell them to the tourists. We're going to tell them to the, the flatlander yahoos who wandered in from somewhere. And we're going to see just how far, how, how much they'll buy it. Yeah. How far can we go? Yeah. No, I do think that, I, I do think that is exactly what happened. And, and the, then the description of the howler changed as you get to that, as we go further in time where before yes. it is, you know, very much where it seems to be a creature on all fours, hulking, you know, either um, large bear, canine or feline. Um, and then over time, it becomes something that, you know, sometimes is depicted as bipedal. It's more, it, is it a little bit more like Bigfoot? Is it, um, you know, what is it, you know? Um, and in some ways it becomes a caricature, which is literally what's been used for merchandising, but, um, but that has that has changed, and in and in part probably because of the rise of lore of other creatures like Sasquatch, skunk ape, things like that. The Blue Man in 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 the Ozarks. It's what I what I find interesting is the well for Ozarkers. There's a clear line between the Howler and the Blue Man. Oh, absolutely, or the Momo. Or the Momo, yeah. But yeah. specifically, I'm thinking the Blue Man because they're really more in the same geographical area. Um, yes. a little further north, um, up by Louisiana. And so, um, so when you start getting these depictions and these reiterations of the Howler, it starts sounding more like a Sasquatch. But, you know, it's like, no, we have the Blue Man and we have the Howler, never the twain shall meet. Yes. And, and I'm not uh, really sure why on that one. I know. I, I think that from the from the tall tales, I think a, a major injection of, of content from the tall tales, and you see this uh what I what I would classify as hmm, uh, an early step of modernity where we're stepping away, we're we're using the base of your, your you know your traditional celtic and anglo-saxon lore predominantly mm -hmm. not exclusively but predominantly and we're stepping into a, a modernity in a sense but modernity filtered through uh 1890s to 1930s era ozarks in terms of let's make up stories that and see how far we can take it uh and in and and i find this you know the the idea is that if you're say like the, to give people an idea of the the sense it's it's 
it's an insider test. If you're say like four or five years old and an Ozarker, you get it. Or you might be fooled when you're a kid, but you rapidly learn as an adult. But then you watch um, the smart people with the big cars and the money and the you know the 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 image of success and intelligence in modern America coming and then falling for something that in your family only a little kid would fall for. Yeah. And 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 we've seen and we and, and we've we've seen that with TV producers too specifically yes. haven't we? Yes, yes we have. <laughs> <laughs> and there <laughs> Beverly Hillbillies in reverse boys and girls and uh and I think really at that uh, at that tall tale portion where you have in this case now grandpa who's you know second or third generation from the from early settlement right uh who in, in all reality is is quite well educated has gone to you know a rigorous um in this case you know high school in which he may honestly have studied latin in 1910 that was not well yeah i, I think people often forget that at that time you know if, if a high school education is uh pretty much the equivalent of at least a bachelor's if not a master's at this point agreed and uh and some folks you know uh, stumble at that reality, but it yeah, is the it reality. Is. It and is documentably the reality, and the the idea that, that during high school or even prior, uh, you could be studying the Greek classics. Uh, you could be reading Ovid. You could be quite familiar uh, with Greco-Roman mythology and the well, Chimera. My 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 dad my dad st had four years of Latin in, in high school and had to read the the Gallic Wars in Latin. So. <laughs> <laughs> so. documentably yes documentably uh, uh and and these are the folks that uh that the yahoo tourists are coming in and calling uneducated hillbillies exactly and my dad loved to play with that <laughs> which is a, a pretty beautiful thing and it mm -hmm. and it really speaks to that multi-layered complexity of the of the ozarks Yes. And I think that is where we really begin to see the the inclusion or the infusion of regional chimera. Um, and, mm -hmm. and instead of taking um, uh, Asian or African beasts and combining them, uh, instead, we're seeing the, the combination of American, um, either large American, basically apex predators or large animals. You know, the, the idea, the bear, essentially bear, uh, panther, and bison seem mm -hmm. to be the, the, uh, the three animals, which of course, all of them are very notable in their own right and very, right. Uh, and, and, and I would say, uh, and also wolf. Um, and it, it, if you, if, if my, if my working theory here is correct, we see this in the, likely developing in the 1910s to the 1930s and this was uh an era admittedly of 
mm, poor conservation in terms yeah. of, of animals. And we would we, we, we were seeing a situation in which uh, animals were being hunted out of existence in so many regions. They, they were, and well, and I guess another animal too is, you know, when we mentioned that uh, they, they described as the, the elk bugle uh, yes. uh, cry is that in early settlement times, their elk was indigenous to the Northern Ozarks. Yes, and I find that, so, so we've got bear, panther, bison, wolf, and elk. Uh, all of these are, are animals that would have figured very predominantly during first and second generation settlement. These are also animals that were, were either um, hunted into regional extinction, obviously not full extinction because many of these have uh, been, been reintroduced. Uh, but into regional extinction by the 1920s and 1930s. It reminds me, uh, just very briefly, I'm going to go off on a, on a, a family story uh, aside. My, my grandpa in southern Iowa, who was a farmer, um, he, was a, he was a farmer, a cowboy, and, uh, and, and a union carpenter in that order, in order mm -hmm. to do whatever was necessary to take care of his family. Uh, he's 70 years old when I was born, and he's one of my heroes, and uh, and and one of my heroes in the sense also that he is a very imperfect hero, and I prefer imperfect heroes because you just there's there's the sense of reality. Mm -hmm. I also inherited a lot from him, so you know his imperfections are usually mine. That said, in the in the 1940s, um, so well, I'll back up. Grandpa understood, you know, that, that there was a savage balance of reality that you, you know, if something is killing your livestock, you have to stop it, so on and so forth. And, you know, he was, he was very much, very much a realist, very much a pragmatist, but he also really loved animals. Uh, he loved his horses. He loved his dogs. He um, he had a, a huge soft spot in his heart for for animals, um, which he usually did a reasonably decent job of covering up. And there was, and my mom remembers this. This You're would have been well the, describing my dad too. So <laughs> he uh, it was in the 1940s, and my mom do, did remember this. And there was a lone wolf that had migrated into the immediate area. Mm -hmm. And it incited a panic. Sure. And a, a hunting party was organized to stop the wolf before it did all of these terrible things. Mm -hmm. And my grandpa got between the wolf and the hunting party and told him to go stick it. But that looked by, and from his experience, et cetera, in terms of the, the regional wolf population that he, of what he had been familiar with, he said that one wolf ain't gonna do nothing that's mm -hmm. gonna make any difference. You leave him the hell alone. Yeah. And I grew up with that story. And I think that those um, mm, 
uh, the, those conflicts, those, those conflicts of psyche mm-hmm. uh, really figure into this, this era uh, of tall tales and regional chimeras in, in the sense so. that there, there's, we're, we're dealing with, with animals that uh, in some cases had become recently extinct or regionally keep yeah, saying recently pushed out pushed out of the region yes uh but still inhabiting uh a place in in the in the minds of the psyche either a a, a sense of melancholy over something having been lost mm-hmm. uh, or a a what i would classify as a knee-jerk reaction a sense of fear uh, that this is terrifying. And just nostalgia too for old stories. Yes, and you know, and and I'm going to, I'm going to, then rebalance this. Some of these animals, we look at the, uh, the the cougar population. Um, cougars are apex predators who feed regularly. Uh, they hunt intelligently, and. In, in many cases, and we keep getting report after report in rural Missouri, uh, mm-hmm. that, that this is a serious, in various regions or in situations have become a serious threat. Mm-hmm. And that has to be balanced one side with the other. It's not all touchy-feely, it's very complex. So. Mm-hmm. I think it's also, you have to look at that time period that, um, we, we start, you know, I think howler is probably probably the original term because they were describing something that was howling. Um, yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, and then they, um, in the '30s we start using the term hoo-hoo um, regularly from yeah. Randolph. Um, the concatenated hoo-hoo. Huh? The concatenated hoo-hoo. And, and, he, and here's the thing about that is that what I find amusing is people have taken that and ran with it being something with the, with the uh, being connected to the howler, and it's not. Um, the, the International Order uh, of Continated Hoo-Hoo uh, it was they originally were formed in Gordon, uh, Arkansas. However, it's a lumber industry organization, and hoo-hoo was a was a term for a lumberman. Oh my god! So they are still in existence. They they have they have chapters every you know on like five continents in new zealand etc you know and and but because they have that in the name and then you have these tales of the howler being called the who and and i was thinking earlier today about that my guess is the conflagration of the two may be because maybe lumbermen were reporting hearing howling these howling animals just like lumbermen were the original reporters of tales of the blue man exactly what i was thinking up yeah. in, in, in the central missouri ozarks yeah so, I, I think that there's 
I think there has to, it, it, it doesn't have to be, but I think that it's quite realistic to see a very unique um, point of intersection of those of those elements coming together to create nomenclature and, and to create unique American lore mm-hmm. that that then begins to take on a life of its own. But we don't know, in, in many cases, when you're the, the recipient of the lore, you don't know the origin of the lore. That's, that's, that's very true. And I think that's what's happened here. And now the internet has stepped in and made a conspiracy involving Teddy Roosevelt. <laughs> Teddy Roosevelt and the, and the Ozark Howler. Yes. And um, the, the, the reports go like this, that Teddy Roosevelt was introduced to the Howler by way of John C. Greenway, uh, who was also in the Rough Riders. Now, Greenway went on, um, by the way, he was in the lumber industry, Um, (laughs) but he originally was from Alabama. Uh, His family did move to the Hot Springs area for about two years when he was in uh, grade school age and then moved away. Uh, So he may have heard some sort of tales about the Haller. but the, the conspiracy theory goes that he told tales to Teddy Roosevelt and Teddy was so enamored with this tale of the howler that he then came to Hot Springs in um, 1905 and met with the Order of the Hoo-Hoo. Yes. Now, there, there are, there's a couple of uh, problems. Oh, and then that, that led to their influence is what precipitated him to uh, declare the first national forest in the Ozark region. Now then, there are, there are a couple of problems. <laughs> One, they weren't in Hot Springs, they were formed in Gurdon in 1909, after the, after the national forest was established. So, but, you know, we digress, but- Small details. And the, the other issue I have is I think that if Teddy Roosevelt had heard this and was interested by it, he would have ended up writing about it because he did do that in yes. another case. Yes. And, and uh, this took place out in Montana and it was a tale conveyed to him by a um, uh, hunting guide. Uh, the hunting guide's name was Bauman, and they were out in the wilds and they heard the call of a creature and Bauman uh, rec- uh, recalled um, his experience from 40 years earlier and it impressed Roosevelt enough that he wrote about it actually in his book, uh, The Wilderness Hunter. Yes. Uh, ironically, now he did not describe, uh, he never, he nor Bauman, either one, described the creature, quote, as a Bigfoot or a Sasquatch. And um, actually, uh, and I don't think Bauman really described, gave it a, a name of sorts, but what, uh, 
what Roosevelt described it was as uh, Bauman's goblin story. Um, and um, he writes, frontiersmen are not as a rule apt to be very su superstitious. They lead lives too hard and practical and have too little imagination and things spiritual and supernatural. But I once listened to a goblin story, which rather impressed me. And he goes on to say, it was told by a grizzled, weather-beaten old mountain hunter named Bauman, who was born and passed all his life on the frontier. Uh, he must have believed what he said, for he could hardly repress a shudder at certain points of the tale. But he was of German ancestry and in childhood had doubtless been saturated with all kinds of ghost and goblin lore. Um, so that many fearsome superstitions were latent in his mind. Um, besides, he knew well the stories told by the Indian medicine men in their winter camps of the snow walkers, the specters, uh, the formless evil beings that haunt the forest depths and dog and waylay the lonely wanderer. Then goes on to tell uh, the tale that Bauman recanted of he and a partner um, fur trapping 40 years earlier and being tracked and um, hunted by this beast who would um, uh, come into their camp silently. They wouldn't see it. Uh, there would be tree knocks and um, howls, calls. Um, and what precipitated the telling of the story was they were seen around the campfire and they heard this call. And it was nothing that any of the men had heard before, but Bauman, he, uh, Roosevelt in says that Bauman blanched white and said he had heard it before and never forgot it. And, and ultimately in the story that um, his, his uh, hunting partner, his trapping partner was killed by this beast. Yeah. And so, um, in fact, uh, Roosevelt devotes about six pages to the telling of the story. So um, I think that if he had heard this from Greenway and was that impressed, he probably would have set it down at some point in writing. I, I agree. And I think, I know it's been, it's been a long time. We, you and I have talked about that story, but I had forgotten uh -huh. it. And it gives me chills just in the retelling. Yes. Um, yeah, actually, um, we may have to we may have to do an article going in depth and talking about the interplay with that and the Howler story, but it is it's a very chilling account and it it definitely made an impression on on Roosevelt, um, and you know he concluded I don't that he, I don't know what it was but it was obvious that something had happened and he he believed that Bauman believed everything he said. Yes, and I think that 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 is. Uh, we we recognize this is recorded anecdotal information mm -hmm. however I, I think that 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 record stands as something incredibly important to take into serious thought and study i think so but and i and i think um and i and i do have to wonder if at some point when when someone came up with this um roosevelt and the ozark whose story that they they weren't borrowing from the Bauman story it is it certainly is possible I think you know like in terms of to me an outgrowth of these tall tales 
uh, has has resulted in some things that we've certainly already talked about. The fact that it may be simply referencing existing animals or quote unquote animals out of place. Right. Uh, an animal that you say shouldn't be there, but it is, but it is not a fantastical animal. It is not a cryptid. It's a, a fully recognized, for example, um, mountain lion or bison or elk before the repopulation or bear before the repopulation, that sort of thing. Exactly. And, 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 I, and I do think, you know, the, the, those tales, the, people were experiencing something that yes. a large creature making those kind of howls and so forth. Um, but I do think in the internet age, now, now we have this perpetuation of the urban legend. And now we're trying to, it seems almost like with this conspiracy theory, we're trying to substantiate it. it. It must be true. There must be something to it and in giving it credibility by tying it to Teddy Roosevelt. I, I agree. And I think that there's, there's a very uh, unique, uh, mm, from an informational standpoint, mm -hmm. a, a, a mm, superficial and dare I say, Mm, uh, plagiaristic or incestual information mm -hmm. point between urban legend, cryptozoology, and the essentially the 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 mass marketing side of it. Yes, I I, I agree with you there. And it, and that tends to sometimes it will dip into bits and pieces of the past to substantiate its own claims. Mm -hmm. But those those three of uh, mass marketing, urban legend, and cryptozoology seem to be feeding off of each other in what I would classify as uh, as superficial um, or or self aggrandizing. And if you, I won't go as far to say that that is good or that is bad. It simply is. Uh, but it you know depending on if if that isn't your thing then I would encourage people to look at all of these other sociological, historical contexts and situations that are leading to it. Because the, now I will say that the, the urban legend aspect leading to the internet has created an enormous amount of fan art for the, the Ozark Howler that is quite fascinating. I would love to have the same amount of, uh, of uh, art for the Snoffus as yeah. we have for the howler yes and, i agree and and for for people and this i think this is a perfect example um in, in terms of ozark tall tales and we're talking i would say roughly hmm 1920s at the earliest into the 1960s and the ozarks is kind of where i would consider the the the, the compendium of ozark tall tales to to have hit and interestingly enough that is also the time in which we see it, it's it's essentially the rise and fall of the uh the chambers of commerce uh booster campaign land of a million smiles in which you are now forcibly injecting uh, rich urban tourists into the ozarks yeah. that you you have 
the howler and the snophus, the gowrow and the gimply cute, the snophus, and, and I think this is interesting, everybody has an idea, for example, I know what the howler is, even if they don't, or if they see something that they don't know what is, then it is, it is a, certainly first on the list to check off the box to say maybe it was the howler. Yeah. Uh, but nobody is, is ascribing this to the snophus. Now, I think perhaps the, the howler, because it is at this point a regional chimera, potentially made up of bear, panther, bison, wolf, and elk, that it, it could be so many things. It's vague enough that if you don't know what it is that you saw, it fits. It fits, or maybe you didn't see anything clearly. Maybe just you saw maybe a shout, or maybe you just heard it. You know, maybe you just heard the cries. Yes, and and we see that. I I will say, well, we'll get the the other side throwing things at me. Uh, but when we talk about the 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 potentialities, um, my little my little kushi needs to possibly needs to go do something um he'll be back but uh, and I, I i've been so looking for okay so oh i need to i need to say something to get people angry at me that's what i need to do um is we talk about black panthers and a number of people will say yes black panthers exist because i've heard them mm -hmm. and i go how do you know what color they were if you only heard them? Um, that's not disputing recognizing a panther call or technically right. a mountain lion. That's not disputing an animal, quote unquote, out of place. That there were, for example, mountain lions where certain authoritarian answer, or, you know, figures have said no, they're not mountain lions. There, that that is one argument. But I think right. I would encourage people to think it through just a little bit if you say i know there was a black panther out there because i heard it but i didn't see it you're not helping the case so no because i mean that goes back to well i mean red fox can sound a lot like that a bobcat can sound a lot like that um mm -hmm. an owl i mean there i mean there's there's a lot owls can sound a lot like big cat they can. It, it's very interesting. I've always loved owls. Um, but the 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 other thing is, and I, this this I think goes a long way in this in doing. The howler's got some explaining to do, uh, and and fortunately, it seems to be doing that tonight. Um, is that there? The howler is a a chimera a chimerical chimera like amalgamation of so many different things that mm -hmm. it when one experiences something that one doesn't know what it is mm -hmm. uh, or or begins to question what what exactly has happened that I, I've just experienced and that's a real thing um, it is a real thing and I think that's also you know there, there's been as you said earlier a number of tv shows and documentaries you know uh, exploring the idea of the howler and sometimes they'll hear something and and that's usually where where it goes is that uh, they hear something howling or a, a cry um and again 
yes, you heard something. What it was may, may be something totally different than you're envisioning the idea of the hallow. And and I think that that also it makes for 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 an interesting cryptozoological hunt. Yes. Because you go out into the forest, you go out into the dark wilds of the Ozarks, and you hear something at night howling. And you could easily then say, particularly if you're unaccustomed to the Ozarks at night, I heard the howler. I was in the Ozarks. I heard something howl. It must be that. It must be that. No, it could be about six perfectly normal things um, before it's a it's an amalgamation beast. But speaking of amalgamation or chimera, there there is yeah. also another theory that seems to be floating more recently, particularly by writer Ralph Toller. Do you want to address that? I'll let you intro it. Oh. I'm I'm gonna write down amalgamation beast. <laughs> we may have to use that as a title sometime. I like it. By the um, way, I, I love where this is going. I know where you're going with this. <laughs> um so for everybody, so this is sort of where we've gotten. And in the said the last 10 years, we, you know, we've been besieged with Teddy Roosevelt conspiracies. And now uh another tangent that yes, we do have a chimera. Uh that the howler is an American satyr. Yes. Maybe Krampus. Uh, <laughs> and could be Krampus. I guess if he's from Greece or Germany, I guess it just <laughs> how far south does does his lineage go? I don't know. I'm sorry. I, it's um, it's a it's a deep south Krampus, and uh, I I think it's the horns. Yeah. I, I think I think that is is where this begins. Obviously, we have we have shifted from. Um, beast quote unquote i.e um on all fours right and, oh, and the, yeah that's true <laughs> to to something that is bipedal something that approximates uh a, a human figure and yeah i i think you know unspoken i think people are wanting it to be a bigfoot um and of course i mean Yes. It, it, in in that in that iteration is a little similar to Goatman Tales and and this is um, true. in the Western this, Ozark. I have not thought about that. Except uh, for they usually admit the howler with just straight horns or or, or more like short cattle horns. Actually, um, actually one one and and we hadn't talked about the uh, the Celtic lore yet, but one thing that went through my head is that some of the early descriptions you know the shaggy uh lumbering beast with short horns makes me think of piling cattle this is true this is this is true the the coos uh not to be confused with the kushi um that's uh that is interesting it really is because with now with the exception of with the exception of bison, well, and to some degree, bear. Mm -hmm. 
we're we're not really dealing with shagginess. No. But especially when you're talking about shaggy, I mean, bison, you know, they, they, a bit, but it's curly, their fur is curly and, and, and tightly curled. And, mm-hmm. and the description of the razor sharp, you know, the, the short, flat horns and shaggy fur lumbering beast, it, it, it does call the mine Highland cattle, which, um, Scotch Irish would be familiar with. They would. And then, yeah. of course, I mean, and, and then there are some who, um, you know, do sort of relate this a little bit, you know, to more Celtic lore, but, um, you know. True. Which, Sager, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not quite there. Um, <laughs> I'll, mean, let you, I, I'll let you address whether or not we have an Ozark Krampus. So, Krampus. <laughs> since it's, oh since my that is your favorite. <laughs> oh my gosh, I know. <laughs> um, so I, I, I'm, I'm generally assuming everybody knows what a Krampus, what Krampus is, but in case they don't, Krampus or Krampus, Krampus is uh, uh, Alpine, Austrian, and German lore of a of a winter demon that steals children it mm-hmm. is notable for having horns uh a long tongue and uh wrapping itself in chains and which it uses to bind the children and pack them off to hell if they're bad it is um some people call it the the evil santa claus it's I think that's a little bit of a stretch. Obviously, this is a a, a pre a, a pre Christian lore uh, that was very very important. It holds a lot of holds a lot of resonance in terms of both winter solstice and as well as fertility rite um, core values, I suppose. Uh, for uh, for pre-Christian Europe and and, and it also uh, really explores the the darkness and threat of that region in a pre-industrialized era when winter was deadly mm-hmm. and uh, you know and, and I do think that it 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 explores a concept of uh, of European culture that, has begun has been largely relegated to an undercurrent of European culture, which is similar to the the Taoist idea of yin and yang, that there's not, yeah. uh, you know, that that you don't align yourself uh, with uh, with simply the good. You understand that within us, within nature, within the universe around us, there is good and bad in competition with one another, and a certain amount of acceptance. Of, of the inner darkness and the outer danger uh, leads us potentially to a, you know, the, the development of what, what could be classified as more healthy uh, human psyche, a more healthy human psyche, a more healthy development of human psyche. Uh, it's that so off balance. You actually use the, 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 the realities of darkness, the realities of night, the realities of uh, of a of a dark season versus a light season, the realities of the the dark times of our own soul, by accepting those, it, it allows us to create a a healthy bulwark to to find psychological, emotional, spiritual balance. 
that said, um, is the Ozark Howler actually Krampus? Yeah, probably not. Yeah, I, th I think we can probably cross Seder and Krampus <laughs> off the list. And, um, and for, for personal reasons, i.e. my novel, Plague Child's Doctor, I love the idea of a Seder in the Ozarks. Um, well, I wrote yes. one. I wrote one. Oh, but that's, um, that's a different, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a different tale. It is, it is. Mikhail, but, Mikhail but you all should it. check out um, Plague Child's Doctor. Josh Thank you. Just good. Oh, just um, really quickly, we will be at the Metaphysical Fair at the Republic Events Center this weekend. That's right. Uh, with Friday, books. Sunday, and, and, and with books. <laughs> we will both have books. <laughs> We're not always good about having books with us. But we will have books with us. And uh, and I'll bring uh, Francesca the, the cow skull uh, for everyone to, to see. And uh, also we'll be bringing Sky. Yes, cool. I, uh, I have uh, have permission from the the event coordinators cool. um, to uh, to bring my new puppy. And I so, wondered. I wondered. <laughs> very very excited. I'll actually be uh, helping do some setup there tomorrow. So oh, okay. I figure um you know well for for you all who are accustomed to checking out Dark Ozarks plan on catching. We'll be doing lives from the yeah. from the event. Definitely. Um, Lots and lots of fun. And coming back, the I, I really think the Howler gets neatly tucked into the category of cryptozoology. Mm -hmm. I, I want to put my disclaimer out here. Um, I'm I'm a I, I study cryptozoology. I respect cryptozoology. I do too. This is not something that I'm, I'm going to mock or make fun of or say that it's a pseudoscience, that in any of these cases, cryptozoology, um, UFO experiences, and the paranormal, we, off, we rarely, if, if we knew what it was we were experiencing, it you know, would no longer be in either any of those categories. Um, right. We don't know, but what we do know and you have, have have had experiences. I have had experiences. We have talked to countless people who have had experiences. Our senses are not always lying, and they're not always lying. People exactly. experience things in these three categories: um, uh, cryptids, UFOs, and the paranormal, that defy the admittedly small cubicle in which modern sensibility places all of its categories. So I have a deep and abiding respect for cryptozoology. That said, I think that it is uh, of, the, of the many um, critters of the tall tales category, I think that Ozark Howler fits poorly into cryptozoology. I, I do too. I, I think I, I, I fall on the side of the fence of there, there people have had experiences of animals that they did not identify correctly or could not because they couldn't see them, etc. Um, and it could have been different animals at different times, particularly over a long period of time. Um, yeah. And because, I mean, we, we don't exactly, it's not that we have a catalog of howler calls to say that that's a howler call and that's something else. Um, 
I'm I'm now I'm imagining like the the 1970s big record of birdsong calls you could buy. I shouldn't have said that. Someone will probably try to produce one for the Howard. Um, 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 so I come down, you know, that I think we we had these experiences, and those are real experiences that people had, and with some sort of animal. Um, yes. And then the other side of it is tall tales and folklore. Um, and we've covered a lot of this with the tall tales as well as um, uh, settler lore, etc. cetera. Um, what's your thought on the role of old world? Um, mm, the old world influences? Uh-huh. Uh. Well, you know, I think my my puppy has an uh, got dirt on me, an impeccable sense of timing, because I have my very own <laughs> my very very own cool she. He's uh, he's fearsome, isn't he? He's an yes, omen yeah. of death. He's a he's <laughs> my 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 fierce omen of death from the Scottish Highlands, and uh, he's a little feisty because he's been sleeping for hours. Um, it is, so as we've been talking, there, well, my first disclaimer on this is, I will under no circumstances ever pass up the opportunity to talk about Welsh or Scottish lore, particularly yeah. in terms of, of, of animals and death omens, because, oh my gosh, it is so incredibly cool. Yeah, um, That said uh, the the more that we have studied this the more that I think it gets difficult to draw a straight line between mm -hmm. the Kuananun um, or or the Kushi to the Ozark Howler right that, and I, I think that in and actually uh, and I, I do want to talk about both of those because I think they're incredible. Uh, but in, in both cases, we're dealing with something that it, it is spectral or fey, mm -hmm. and it is canine. Yes. That there's 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 no amalgamation. This isn't one part one thing, one part another. Um, or even questioning whether it is. It's not even is it or isn't or could it be. It's it's very clearly canine. Yes, the idea that it's a dog. We, yeah. but it is, but it is more than a dog out of place. This is a dog that sends shivers up your spine. This is a dog you do not want to ever see, and that I think is, you know, there's a, there's such a haunting quality to to that that is really, really fascinating, really fascinating. But for me, there, there's better anal analogies to lore in the Ozarks for them. And, and those yes. would be, you know, um, phantom hounds and so forth. Um, yes, we've got phantom hounds. And even though it's, it's a different animal, uh, the black boar is yeah. is the same story it is the same quality it is a spectral animal mm -hmm. that there's no question about what animal it is it's we're not dealing with a chimera um right. 
in, in a, a combination animal, which I think we really see the combination animals with the tall tails. We're mixing animals together to make it more interesting mm -hmm. as opposed to a, a, a long background history. Yes, we have a, we have a, have a fearsome, fearsome hound of Ulster. <laughs> he is, he is. I don't know if I shall triumph over him. Um, I may not actually. He does like to try and chew my face off when I'm not looking. Um, but uh, the the you know I think as a, as just as a as a real quick um, uh, point of comparison, uh, that we've got like I've got like four things and a dog in my head right at the moment. But the snoffus, I'm going to jump back to the snoffus for okay. just a moment. Um, this I think one of the reasons that the, that the howler. He's providing sound effects. He's howling. Uh, oh, no. One of the reasons that the, at least he's not in barking at his reflection in the refrigerator. I have to go get him this time. Um, yes. Yes. Um, he's a simple sort, but he's a lot of fun. Uh, that one of the reasons that the, the howler, I believe, has taken on a life of its own is because it could be so many things at once. It is very, is actually very vague in its precise description. The exactly. snoffus, on the other hand, is impossible to mistake for something else. It is a white deer mm -hmm. that has wings. And instead of antlers, it has dogwood blossoms, dogwood branches that are blossoming. And it lives in treetops and snorts at inappropriate times in order to scare lumbermen. See, <laughs> we're back to the we're back to the concatenated who. I, right. <laughs> I, and and certainly within the uh, the tall tale category, it is interesting because there's there's no source no source citations necessary, and so almost anything that yeah. one says can be the thing that it is, which I really had way too much fun last night online uh, by creating the Texie Hoo Hoo, um, which yes. could be anything. And also, as, as is appropriate in a tall tale, <laughs> silly, and not only could it be anything, but how do you prove that it's not anything? Exactly, and, 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 that, and that's kind of where, where things have come down on this, I think. Um, so for, you know, for uh, Celtic lore, I think there are better analogies um, and we've, and we've dealt in with those in other episodes and we probably will again. Um, One, real quick, I just want to throw this in here, which I think actually seems to have a little bit more in terms of a connection with European lore to settler lore to the, to the howler is the, the devil cat or the witch cat. Yes, yes. Now I, I am I am I am intrigued there. Um, yes. Um, but again, big cats are something that were known in early days here. Um, Catamounts was another name that they went by um, for the settlers. They would call them catamounts. Um, yes. Don't ask why, but. Um, so 
you know, there, there were various names given for big cats. And so, um, and they, and they were, to be honest, they probably were the most dangerous predator for settlers. Um, I, I think so. I, I think that, I think that's very fair. And, and of course, we're largely insulated from those kind of dangers. Yeah. So it's, it's easy to discount that. But, you know, for example, um, uh, mountain lions, mm -hmm. first of all, are, are large apex predators, large, highly intelligent apex predators. And they typically will hunt um, by, you know, I mean, a, a mountain lion can kill a horse and well in fact if um we discussed uh, when we were talking about crowley's ridge that when the crowley's first settled the ridge that um mr crowley's favorite horse was killed by that mountain lion in the barn yes and it was, it was very real real danger and and uh you know a, a very common um mm, uh, predatorial attack is to wait in the trees mm -hmm. at night and for example when the horse or deer uh, pass over uh, the mountain lion lunges and uh, uh, bites through the the spine at the back of the right. neck that, and that that's the that's the that's the goal that's the attack you mentioned the horse flies uh, you know we're dealing with a, 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 a an area a region that had not seen human population for quite some time. Uh, that basically the the animals were, in, you know, in in great number. Uh, clouds of horse flies, uh, for example, large. I think I think it's fair to say large numbers of of cougars during that time, mountain lions, mm -hmm. and that. So, for example, if the mountain lion is hunting uh, a horse and is leaping from behind at night with an attempt to sever the horse's neck and the horse has a rider, you do the exactly. geometry, you do the, you do the dynamic, the physics on that. Exactly. Plus the, the, it's, it would be very easy, particularly in the dark to, depending on your angle, see claws or whatever and, and, think their horns perhaps I, I think it's possible uh or the ears or i mean yeah. honestly a, a an 85 to 95 pound uh cat that is all teeth and claws leaping at you in the dark of night from behind <laughs> while you're on a horse is <laughs> absolutely terrifying and could easily kill someone yes easily could so and, and, um, and, and, and I, I think see, I could see, I could see, I could see the idea of the horns and so forth coming from a, that kind of situation. Um, what are your thoughts on the sort of the concept of the devil cat? Mm, well, I think it's fascinating. Obviously, we have a, mm, uh, it, it has a, a strong shifter and and witch lore attached to it. Yeah. Uh, I think a good portion in, in this particular case, a good portion of this is, is coming from European lore about mm -hmm. witches. 
the, the association of witches with cats, obviously, mm -hmm. uh, the association of witches able to change, to shapeshift mm -hmm. into other animals, predominantly a cat, for nefarious or outside of standard societal purposes. True. Plus, um, native lore uh, often involved witches that were uh, shifters. It does. And, and we're dealing with uh, a region that has, and, and perhaps this is something that, that really has led to, to so much folk Ozarks, unique Ozarks folklore, is that uh, the Ozarks are a, a rel have been a relatively uh, isolated region that at, at the same time is populated by Scots, Irish, and Cherokee. Exactly. And I, I think a lot of people um, kind of have a misconception because uh, those populations are centered in Oklahoma now. That mm -hmm. they, but in the late 1700s and early 1800s, um, most of Arkansas was was Cherokee and Osage. Um, and so, and they have a very strong um, shifter um, lore and with their witchcraft. They so, do. I mean, that, that, does, that does make sense to me. In fact, the, the same account, the article that we posted on the page this week, um, to give an idea, um, it's 1820 and there was a missionary trying to, um, he's in Pleasant Hills, Mississippi, which is now Vittsburg. It was what, what they, Vittsburg was previously. Uh, and he's trying to find information about going to Arkansas, to Cherokee country. And he could only find one man that had been there and had returned. Wow. You know, I mean, that, that's how, how isolated it was. Yes. Mm. It's and, and I think the, the the isolation aspect has to be taken into consideration. Wild places are not only by nature potentially dangerous, but they 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 become something within our minds. They do, they do, and so um, I, I can I can see the idea of the devil, particularly if if part of the origin is from mountain lions, and then you incorporate the native witchcraft lore. I can see yes. the devil cat um, being a a, a, por a part of the Howler story. Yes, yes, I I see that I see that too, and I think that then you you start bringing in death omens you start bringing in um and i think that there i think that it's fair to say that there is a a lumberman aspect i'm going to come back to the concatenated hoo-hoo um just simply because i love to say the words concatenated hoo-hoo um it's just it's just too much fun um but that i think in many cases it might be fair to say that your your lumbermen, your loggers, mm -hmm. and your lumbermen could have really served as a, a conduit, an, a communicative 
conduit of lore in a way that a lot of other mm, interactive groups during the 19th century into the early 20th century were did not have a lot of your your um you know sustenance farming or sustainable farming um single family farms etc who are they going to be interacting with when they took their crops to town they would have been going to the mill they would have been talking to local people it would have been highly insular um if you were in for example in green county and interacting with uh interacting with market you still would have been for example going in uh to mills to to uh specific locations interacting with again local people who would have served as a middleman before shipping things out certainly down here lots of produce was grown in the in the teeny in Taney County uh, mm -hmm. and shipped out by rail but you just take it to the railroad depot load it on off it goes um, something that I, I would conjecture is that you know and we see this for example you know, reference one of our topics from last week uh, with uh, leaper um, yeah. that uh, leaper with his, you know, he created some of the biggest mill sawmills, uh, and this was this was a a hub that the sawmill would have become a hub between the extraordinarily wealthy and influential, mm -hmm. i.e., the Hoo Hoo Clan. Um, the yeah, yeah, literally, because those were the those were the people who formed it. Yeah, the the movers and shakers of society, the individuals who would have connected with um, the newspapers, the, the magazines, the, uh, the, the ultra wealthy, the, the sawmill connection in the industrial era, you know, that, that uh, post-Civil War industrial revolution in the middle of America, that would have been the, the point of connection between them and the, this essentially backwoods culture, uh, hillbilly culture, uh and and uh second or third generation settler culture from the old world sharing this this point of sharing and i i can't help but conjecture a little bit that there may have been some very very interesting um cross transfers of information of stories of lore through that juncture point that certainly in the ozarks i i'm not sure if there's a lot uh, of pathways of that outside of the sawmills. I mean, that's true. Plus, you know, just for even, you know, firsthand accounts, the, yes. the lumber crews were in the most isolated areas and, mm -hmm. you know, they could be, you know, days, days away from anyone else. And so they often were very, if they were going to encounter something weird in the forest, they were more likely to do it than anyone else. They, yeah, which, you know, then brings and then up they would those tales back to the sawmill and. Yeah. And then from there. So I think there's, I think, I think there is something to the hoo hoo. Um, but the concatenated or otherwise, but I, 
I can't help but but consider that there were rare but existent occurrences for those men in which they said we encountered something weird and it was it was it was more than lore it was something it was something else exactly and that's exactly what happened with the blue man so yes you know we know that so i can i can see that as applying here as well so Mm-hmm. Uh, that might be a, a good juncture good to, to, to end on. A good place to conclude. Uh, I have a rompy puppy. Uh, he's a he's a cushy. He's going to howl. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> so people, we we appreciate everyone, um, and please uh, like uh, Darko's Arts on Facebook, YouTube. Um, subscribe, share, uh, click the bells, all those things. And we will be back next week talking about something else. Absolutely. We thank you all. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Alex. Good times. Good times near the concatenated hoo-hoo. Just like saying that. I do. I really do. (laughs)